It is such a privilege and honor to have a second week in a row of ministering the Word of God. As you know, we have been talking on our series, um, Revelations, on the book of Revelations, and up to now we've been gone up to chapter 4. Last week we spoke about the crowns and our rewards and that which our life is in terms of the rewards that we will receive in heaven. And in heaven there's this, this picture of John speaking and he says that when he stood in the throne room of grace, he says there were 24 elders standing around the throne and they were all worshipping God. They were laying their crowns down and they were saying, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is our God, worthy is our Father to be praised because he's created everything and everything exists because of him. And I want you to know that the, that the elders are a picture of the priesthood. They have the wisdom of God, they have the knowledge of God, and they have the mind of Christ. And as the mind of Christ, they are all one and subject to the Father. And being subject to the Father, they worship him freely because they're in one accord. And so too are we priests of our lives, and we are surrendered to the Father. And in our surrender and commitment and submission to our Heavenly Father, we worship Him with our lives and that which He has called us to do as believers. That's why it's so important to understand what Romans 1, 12.1 says. That says we have to renew our minds according to the word of God. Because in the renewing of our minds we get an understanding and the Holy Spirit is able to impart and, and show us the things of the Spirit. And so one of the most important things of a believer is to know and understand the ways of the Spirit and the word of God. And the, and the Holy Spirit reveals the Word of God to us. And so through revelation, the word revelation is the revealing or the un, unveiling of things to come. And we know that John was taken up into the presence of the Lord and he was able to see everything that was to come. But before we get into that, I want to start telling you about the rapture. And this is the gospel of the kingdom that will be preached in all the world as witnesses to all the nations. And then the end will come. Matthew 24, 14 is very clear. Continuing in Matthew 24, 31, he says, and he will send his angels with the great sound of the trumpet, and they will enter together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to another. What happens when the rapture takes place? I've named my message, wanted, dead, or alive. You see, God wants us, whether we have died in Christ or whether we are alive in Christ. He's reached out to those that are dead in Christ, and he wants their souls. He wants our hearts. He wants our worship. And anything that is dead unto Christ, he's giving out the commission to the believers to go out and bring those souls to Christ so that they may come alive in him. And so when the trumpet calls... 
on that day, there is an order to which things will take place. There is an order to way it will ha- the way it will happen. And it will be in a twinkling of an eye that he will come down upon the clouds and meet us up in the air. The trumpet calls first, and when that trumpet calls, the dead in Christ will ar- arise first. They will awaken. And 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will descend upon he- from heaven with a shout, and with a voice from the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. When that happens... There will be a divine transformation that takes place. And so behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in that twinkling of an eye, when the last trumpet sounds. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will arise. And this is the part that I'm talking about. The dead will arise, the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So imagine this, you're dead, your body's being cremated, and there's no flesh left in, in, in the ground. How will your body come back together? Well, it's the DNA that takes place, the spiritual DNA that God takes, that he created you, and he causes you to come up from the ground, and in that moment, he will transform your body into a heavenly body that is worthy to be in the presence of the Lord. And so too, will those who are here on the earth, will their bodies be transformed and changed. We are taken up and our bodies are transformed from a corruptible body to an incorruptible body. Probably same as, probably a likened to the one that, of Jesus on the day that he rose and his disciples, his disciples were able to see. And it's at that point that we go before We go up, we get taken up into heaven, we go into the heavenlies, and we go before the beamer. Now, the beamer is called the beamer because it's a tribunal where we as believers will receive our rewards and our crowns for the lives that we have lived here on this earth as believers. And so that is why I encourage you as believers to remain steadfast in your faith. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 51, to 52 and verse 58. It says, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable always, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain, but it is for the Lord. You know, so many times we give up our families, we give up our lives, we give up the things that we love the most to do the things of the kingdom. And there is this contention or this tension and there's this little bit of remorse, but God wants you to know that it is not in vain. Everything that you do is seen by him. And when it is seen by him, he is the one who rewards you according to every sacrifice that you have made for him and for the kingdom. Now, the Bema seat is a place where athletes in the ancient times were evaluated. It was a place where the athletes were rewarded. In a large Olympic area, there was an elevated seat which the judge of the contest would sit. And after the contest was over, the successful competitors would be able to come before the beamer to receive their rewards or their crown. The beamer, I must clarify, is not a judicial bench where someone is condemned. It is a seat where 
you are where you receive a reward. Likewise, the judgment seat of Christ is not a judicial bench. The Christian life is a race, and we are to run this race with excellence, striving towards the upward goal, letting go of everything that would hold us back. Christ is the umpire, the one who stands on the side and encourages you and pursues you to continue finishing this race. And after the race is over, each believer who is striving for the goal well, he will gather, Christ will gather every member before the beamer for the purpose of examination. He will examine each and every one of them and give them the, the proper reward that applies to their life here on earth. Now, it's unfortunate, but some will suffer loss. And that is all on us on how we decide and choose to live our lives. And 1 Corinthians 3, 10, 11, 12, and 13 speaks about the builder who builds on a foundation. The foundation of which the builder builds upon with gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble will be refined in the fire. You see, when we go through the fire, whatever is not, does not have eternal value will be burned away. And what has eternal value in the eyes of God will remain. We will not, however, lose our salvation. Salvation remains. One cannot lose their salvation. Your salvation will remain. So I want to stress again, you cannot lose your salvation based on your works and the way that you lived your life in the kingdom. You will lose your rewards based on what you did. You see, our efforts or works may burn in the fire of, the lo- of love that will be seen through the eyes of Jesus um, with regards to our lives. But that which is of eternal value shall remain, and what is not will be consumed. And that which will be so consumed are the things in our lives today that edifies our own motives and, and feelings and, uh, and satisfies our, our own personal needs. You see, not everybody will also receive the same reward at the judgment seat of Christ. There will be some who suffer loss. If if anyone's work is burned and they do suffer loss, they will keep and hold on to their their salvation will remain. You see, when when Jesus looks at us through his eyes of love, his eyes are a consuming fire. And it says in Revelations 1.14, his head and his hair are white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flaming fire. And that fire symbolizes the holiness of God. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, and he is a jealous God. Deuteronomy 4.24 says that he is a jealous God. He, he wants you to be consumed with him, and he is so consumed and in love with you that anything that stands between you and him cannot remain. And so when we, when we come before the God, the King of all kings, we want to come without shame. Believers want to appear before the judgment seat of Christ without shame. 1 John 2.28 says that, Dear children, 
Remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back with shame. You see, fear, doubt, and unbelief, and even pride are the opposite of courage and the underwriters of shame. What we want to do is we want to be bold and courageous and live a life that is courageous where we're able to set aside the things that contend with the word of God in our lives that affect our righteousness. Leonette was so clear that our righteousness before God is we're not righteous on our own. We can do righteous works, but Christ is the one who covers us in righteousness. And so 1 John 2.28 is the confirmation of our salvation that we who are standing and are in right standing with Christ will be received into heaven. And since we are saved, we are forgiven. We are forgiven, we are justified, we are redeemed, sanctified, and made righteous in Christ. And when we stand before him, there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That When I read that, I was so free because I realized that even in our walk with God, sometimes we, 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 we sin and we come short and we miss the mark and we condemn ourselves and we resent our actions and our mistakes and we think that God's going to judge us according to that. But this scripture is so amazing. It says, therefore, therefore there is no condemnation. For those that are in Christ Jesus. So when you stand before the beamer seat of Christ, you are not going to be judged. There is no condemnation for you. When you stand before him, you stand before him righteous, holy, and accepted. And because you're accepted, you can now live a life of freedom and do what you need to do for Christ out of freedom and not out of fear and condemnation. Isn't that amazing? I was so free when I heard that. And Romans 8, 1 to 2 confirms it again where it says that, and those who he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he glorified. That means we go from one level of glory to the next. We go from glory over here on earth. And when we're taken up and we stand before the beamer seat and we are rewarded for what we're, there is glory there because our lives will honor and glorify Christ. You see, whoever confesses God before humanity, God will confess him before the, Jesus will confess him before the Father who is in heaven. And so our lives and the way that we live our lives are so important by the, by the expression of how we communicate Christ and what we believe is so important. If we acknowledge him in this life and allow our lives to display the behavior of Jesus and what the word says, he says he will, he will acknowledge us before the Father and before the angels. You see, the gifts that we are going to receive in heaven with, with regards to our lives, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 to 10, he says, But it is written that no that eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. God has revealed them to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, 
the deep things of God. So again, it's our walk with God and the, the, the Holy Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, the Spirit that reveals the things of God to us that empower us. And then when the rapture has taken place and we have been through the beamer seats and we have received our wards, before this will take place for before the second coming of Christ, sorry, this will take place before the second coming of Christ, as it is said in the book of Revelation. And this too is the rapture of the church. So let us rejoice and exalt him and give him glory because the wedding celebration of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, shining bright, clear, has been given for her to wear. And the fine linen represents the righteous deeds or acts of the church of his holy believers. So this tells me that we as a church and that which we do that captures the heart of the vision of the star of the church, which is the pastor, if we capture the vision, if we feed into the vision, if we support the vision, if we act out and do the good works that take care of the house and the community and the people that we are called to, where we are planted, he says, the, the garments that we will be wearing are the garments of white, clean linen. The fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the church. And we are told as that, that as the bride is clothed with righteous deeds, the church corporately, therefore, has already been judged at the judgment seat of Christ because they, the church, are ready for the groom and will receive him when he comes. Hence, the judgment takes place sometime before the second coming of Christ. And our job is to make sure that we are ready and that the church's bride is wearing her clean garments, her robes of righteousness, and that have, been, and that have done the good works that he has called them to. What are the good works? Preaching the gospel to people in church, out of church, ministering the word to them so that they would receive and understand and hear and know Christ and understand what the invitation is that he has extended to us so that we can receive salvation. Evangelizing and getting people saved, ministering to the brokenhearted, the downtrodden, feeding the poor of every race and creed, not being selective in doing so, accepting the brethren, accepting the brothers, across the globe. It is the church's task to ensure that every invitation that has been extended is confirmed. I would hate to get to heaven one day, look down into hell, and see somebody that I know, and that person would say to me, but Mandy, you didn't tell me that it was going to be like this. You didn't explain the word of God to me. The way, the way that you lived didn't communicate what you believed and what, you, what, you, um, what qualified you to get to heaven. So the one who receives Christ is the one who, minister, who is raised to minister the word of God and to make disciples. And the one who starts work for Christ in the early, early part of the day or at the later part of the day, we will all earn the same wage. That is our salvation. We will all receive our salvation. So if you get saved before the day that the Lord comes, or just a bit earlier, 
our reward and our um, pay will be the same. And Jesus is extending this invitation, and I want to make it clear that our, what we believe is to make disciples. And so the way that in which that we need to live our life should be an inv- invitation that ex- is extended to everyone for those to receive an accepted Christ. Our role is to clean up and organize his church so that they can be ready, to help and assist the church and the vision of the church in everything that it needs to do and accomplish, whatever that means for you, whether it's a big part or a small part. We all want to come together and be seated at the banquet of Christ, and we all want to come in and be on the inside of those doors before those doors are closed, because once the doors are closed, no one else will be let in. And that's a picture of the world that when we extend our invitation to them and they refuse to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, this is talking about accepting the invitation to the wedding. And when those doors are closed, no one else will be allowed in. It's quite a dramatic picture because we think we've got a lot of time and we think that we can make this decision any time of the day and we can clean up our act at any point in time. But the word is clear that when he comes, he will come in a twinkling of an eye. No one will know the time, the hour, or the day. And once we go up and we stand before him, we will receive the rewards that we earned in this life and how we lived our lives, how we treated the people that God has entrusted to us, how we treat the animals that he has given us, how we, how we respect his mother earth and, and, and nature, how we look after the things that he has bestowed upon us. Because he said in, in the beginning of time in Genesis, he said, take this world, multiply it, subdue it, and have authority and dominion over it. So this brings us to the judgments. Now, there are two judgments. The believer's judgment, which is known as the judgment seat of Christ, Romans 4:10 to 13. But this judgment is for believers. You're not going to be judged for your sins. You're going to be judged for the way in which you lived your life. Revelations 20:12 says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. Everything that we do, Jesus sees. God sees. Nothing is hidden from him. Everything is naked to his eye. So whatever we do, let us do it as unto the Lord. So many times I think to myself, oh, I just don't want to do this, and I do it with the wrong attitude. And it's the attitude of your heart that determines the value of what you do, the eternal value of what you do. It's a very important factor to understand that our heart is the main driving factor that allows us and empowers us to overcome because of the courage that we receive from the word of God. But our heart is the factor that, that allows the love of God in. And when the love of God filters into our hearts, it can only permeate our lives and cause us and to want to 
do and desire things that would, ple- would be pleasing for the kingdom. Then there's the unbelievers' judgment, the great white throne judgment, also referenced by Revelations 20, verses 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. As believers, we have passed through judgment. And John 5 verse 4 says that Christians, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. Again, it's confirmation that we as believers have eternal life. They will never be condemned. Then, see again, they will not be condemned. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. There is no, they will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. That puts my mind at ease, that it doesn't matter what I've done wrong. I might not get a reward, but I will not lose my salvation. I stand before Christ not condemned, because he took that condemnation for us when we confessed him as our Lord and received him as our God and our Savior. So, at this point in time, I want to encourage you that Paul is so clear in his admonishment to run your race like a believer. Run your race like the athlete who is striving towards the, uh, the upward goal. He says, I'm not doing this. I'm not just running um, with, he says, I'm running with a purpose in my every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So he's very clear. He's saying, I am training my body to do what it needs to do. So many times we don't want to, as Christians, to train ourselves to go in the way of the Lord because it's tough sometimes. It's tough to be a good, a godly Christian and walk in the righteousness of God. So many times it's just so much easier to give into our flesh and allow our flesh to do what it wants to do and to dictate to us. So the conclusion that we come to is to grasp the basic doctrines of our lives and of Christianity and become mature Christians growing up in Christ to be a mature child blessed in all that we do. You know, there's just a few misconceptions about eternal judgment, and I just want to put your mind at ease with regards to some of them. Um, The one question I find many people ask is, why must we be judged? In fact, I ask that question myself. God has to judge evil because he is holy and sin is evil. Heaven is a literal place and sin cannot enter into it. Then I saw a new heaven, a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making a new thing. Also he said, Write this down, for these are the words that are trustworthy and true. So, where is hell? Hell is the outer darkness. It is a place of no return. And in Matthew twenty-two twelve. 12 to 14, it says, And he said to them, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called and few are chosen. You see, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. People might go there, but it wasn't designed for them. They will be cast, the people who refuse God will be cast into eternal fire that was prepared for the devil and his demons. And cast to the worthless servant into outer darkness in that place where there will be gnashing and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then you will say to those on the left, Don't uh, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. He stresses the point. If you're not receiving eternal life, that is where we will go, to outer darkness. There are two choices, eternal life and eternal death. And we don't get a second chance to make the right, to make another decision. The judgment seat of Christ, however, is a joyous occasion, and it is a place where there is elation and glory. So Romans 4, 10 to 12 says, So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scripture says, Surely, as I live, says the Lord, Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess his allegiance to me. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, if you don't have a real understanding of who Jesus is, I want to make it very clear to you today that you have to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He is the gateway into heaven. He is the only way that we will enter into those doors at the wedding reception and be part of the banquet of banquets. For no one can come to Christ other than through through him. And so as we prepare our hearts and our lives, Let's not stand in judgment of one another, about one another, before the Lord returns. For he will bring our darkness, darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. I want you to know, beloved, that God loves you. He cares about you. He wants you to be part of the glorious kingdom when, it comes, when he comes down to, to collect his bride. And if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord today, I'm reaching out to you and I'm extending this invitation and I'm saying, allow Jesus to come and live in your heart. Make him Lord of your life. And if you haven't done so before, say this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, 
I come to you in the name of Jesus. And I thank you for your life that you have given to me. That you died and you you rose again so that I may have life eternal. And because I have life eternal, I accept you now, Jesus, as my Lord and my Savior. And I ask you to come into my life and be my King. I want to start a new chapter of my life today. I want to walk with you, grow with you, and receive my heavenly reward because you are my chief reward. And so today I commit my life to you and I thank you that you today are the Lord of my life. I make you Lord of my life today. I let go of the former things. I let go of the things that I did before to take up my life with you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Well, congratulations. It's a wonderful decision that you've made. And I would like to extend to you to contact us. There will be a number on the screen that you can contact or you can reach us via email and we will congratulate you and explain the decision that you have now made for the rest of your life. And so we just want to praise the Lord for you and celebrate because you are now a child of the living God. Amen. So we just want to take this opportunity to um, thank you for being part of our online church. Please remember to go to our website if there's anything that you need. So I just want to extend this invitation to you that every week we will do um, a communion online. And so you're welcome to join us and participate in our communion services. Thank you. And I hope that to see you at church sometime.